0: What a game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It looked like they were out. It looked like they were going to lose to the hapless Edmonton Elks, but they fought their way back for an incredible performance. So we had much to discuss on that, including sharing the sounds of the game. We also discussed the ongoing liquor dispute and the health concerns that are being raised for those who are dependent on alcohol and the potentially devastating ramifications that can have. And on the lighter side, we had a lot of fun today talking about toys. Specifically, at what point in your life did toys suddenly become too complicated? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week and then I'm off next week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, August 11th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back next week. What did I say last week? Bombers played last Thursday. I said, I'm not going to watch a single down of football. Right? I'm tired. I'm going yep. to bed. Yep. Stayed up and watched the game.
1: I have the receipts. You pledged to do, to do otherwise last night, too. I
0: said, I. there's no way I'm staying up to watch this game. I'm so tired. So what did I do? <laughs> it was 8 o'clock. I turn on the game, <laughs> Edmonton scores 33 seconds in, like, well, I guess we're watching this football game. <laughs> and I'm, wow, am I glad I did.
1: Yeah, it was simply, um, you know, the outcome we expected, but certainly not the way that we anticipated it would go. And Brett, just a sampling of some of the text messages I got last night. I uh, received a text message from my buddy Kevin. He's at. He was at the game in Edmonton last night. Picture it was twenty-two nothing at that point for Edmonton. I go cheer louder. <laughs> <laughs> and my buddy James says um, twenty bucks? Question mark. It was fifteen nothing Edmonton at that point. He wanted to know if I wanted to bet twenty bucks. Oh. He's always trying to get me to bet on the Bombers. Okay. And he knows I will not bet on the Bombers, but he's always trying to just to. Uh, <laughs> Tease me a little bit. Oh, if you love your team and you think they're so good, maybe you should bet on them now when they're down 15. I said, no, it's always no, James. And then (laughs) this one at 11 o'clock last night, I believe you will be sleeping, but I sure hope you recorded this game or you missed one of the best comebacks ever. Well, maybe not ever, but it was amazing. Amazing it was, Brett, to see the Blue Bombers hold their composure to... Manage the situation with Zach Caleros going down. Uh, that did not like that hit. After did not like the decision that Zach Caleros made either. That's beside the point. Drew Brown comes in and and uh, guides the team to 38 points. And the Blue Bombers uh, now pending the outcome of the game tomorrow night in Vancouver between the Lions and Stampeders sit alone in first place.
0: Yeah, it was just it was a remarkable. Turn of events, and that's that. That's the great thing about sports, the story that gets told. Last week, it was the story of an absolute drubbing. Bombers just laid waste to BC and sent a statement not just to them, but to the whole league. And then yesterday, total reverse, the Bombers had to scratch and claw their way back and did so in pretty spectacular fashion. I would concur with you. And it's interesting
1: because of the storylines heading into each one of those games, right into the BC game last week, it was about redemption. Uh, Who was the better team? Uh, You know, could the blue bombers win if they don't win, they're not going to host the West final. And then the trepidation, the kind of, you know, you don't want to be that team that is on the other side of a team's first win since 2019, the Elks hadn't won at home or still haven't won now 22 straight home games. You don't want to be, as Derek Taylor said, the answer to that trivia question. Yeah. Because this is the longest losing streak by a professional team in North America in the history of North American pro sports.
0: Yeah, there was uh Hang on. I, I took a... Okay. <clears throat> Edmonton Elks, longest home streak, North American pro sports history, 22. The next one is... From 1953, the St. Louis Browns. Browns. What is that? I
1: don't even know what sport that is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't either. Two of the top five belong in Dallas. 1993-94, the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA lost 19 in a row. Uh, In 2003-2004, the Pittsburgh Penguins lost 14. And then in 1988-89, the Dallas Cowboys lost 14 uh, games in a row at home. St. Louis
1: Browns were... um Major League Baseball team.
0: Oh, really? (laughs)
1: Uh, Apparently. It originated in uh, Milwaukee at some point.
0: Okay. Anyway,
1: the point is, this is is a streak you do not want to hold. Uh, Edmonton Elks uh, remain. If anything, Brett, they have to be uh, feeling pretty good about Trey Ford, their young quarterback that started last night. He managed to move the ball, you know, for... A good chunk of that first half in particular. um, He's fast. He's got some wheels. Uh, The Blue Bombers uh, just didn't really have an answer for anything the Elks were doing for that first quarter in particular. Edmonton had the ball just about for that entire first quarter. But uh, Bombers win. We'll have the sounds of the game for you coming up in about, uh, I guess, about 25 minutes time.
0: All right. So we'll do that at 6.35 and then... Uh, at 7.05, we'll switch gears because we want to share more on something that Sarah was talking about in her newscast, and that has to do with the Manitoba liquor dispute. But the the conversation, the discussion, the concerns about addiction and withdrawal because the liquor stores were deemed essential during the pandemic, partly because of, of that. They didn't want to create, uh, they, they didn't want to further burden an already overwhelmed healthcare system because people could end up hospitalized if they don't have access to what they, they are dependent on. And now with these closures, like we've only got five stores open today and then they're all closed on the weekend. Of course, the private stores, like beer vendors and whatnot, they're still open. But uh, if, if you know your particular vice is not available at a beer vendor or a wine store and you need the liquor store... Um, there could be problems. We're
1: going to play Rosanna Hempel's story uh, from Global News last night. It was a Great story and several perspectives on that. But your perspective on it yesterday, Brett, when we were leaving yesterday, you made a comment. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was off air. Just the uh, two of us talking about this, the ge- geography of the stores and where the ge- where the stores are open. Mm-hmm. If you live in East Winnipeg, Transcona in particular. You've got a fair hike yep. to get to one of the
0: five locations that are open in the city. Yeah, they probably the closest one would be St. Um, But I guess for convenience, maybe the the faster one would be to come downtown. But the locations that are open today are Crestview, Garden City Square, Grant Park, Hargrave and & Alice, and St. Vitell Square. Those are the five Winnipeg locations. Like
1: uh, essentially barely anything east of the Red River. Because yeah. St. Vitell Square is, you know, it's maybe a kilometer or pardon me, a kilometer or 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 thereabouts from the Red River. And basically the whole east side of the city is without a liquor store right now. You think about drinking and driving concerns when you talk oh, yeah. about addiction and then and and, and and people who are dependent on alcohol. And it, you know, if, if you don't have a vehicle and this is part of part of your life and it's a reality for a percentage of our population, we can't ignore that. Um, yeah, geography is going to be a concern, the, the accessibility of this.
0: It is Mackling, McGarry, McNabb is back next week. After Global News at 7 o'clock, we'll talk more about the discussion on alcohol, the liquor store closures, and the health concerns that are coming out of that. In our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win either tickets for the Burt Block Party or Lord of the Dance... And it has to do with a funny conversation I overheard yesterday on the elevator now, that was entirely relatable. But right now, we want to discuss how 21 hours ago we pondered the the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the unfathomable <laughs> possibility of the Winnipeg Blue Bomber's calling to the Edmonton Elks at Commonwealth Stadium.
1: Well, how did it go? Let's hand it over to Derek Taylor and Ed Tate. on the off the bench for Doug Brown last night. These are your sounds of the game.
2: The Bombers looking to hold on to first place in the West Division. Follow up that win over BC with a win over the Edmonton Elks. And they will run it with Kevin Brown for a nice hold, 50, 55, look at Brown go. 40, 35, 30. Kevin Brown is going to the end zone for the touchdown opening play of the game a handoff to Kevin Brown and he scores a 65-yard touchdown six men will rush free is Dietrich Nichols off the side Ford spins and loses him 50 45 40 got the first down 30 and out of bounds at the 25-yard line Dietrich Nichols blitzing off the left Ford did the Cody Fajardo spin out and it's an Elks first down second and four from the Bombers eight-yard line Big Hills on the line of scrimmage they're going to rush five Ford has to scramble out to his right. 10-5, Trey Ford's gonna score. Trey Ford, in his season debut, scrambles out of the pocket, getting high fives from everybody on the sideline as the Elks take a 14-0 lead. Fake it to Dembski. Kolaris looking downfield, now pressure in his face. Spins off it, but he's gonna flip it forward. Interception, and it's gonna go for a touchdown. Kolaris is trying to make a play, But he flipped it right to Luches Purifoy, and it is 21-0 Elks, and Caleros is down.
1: All right, let's reset here. We're three minutes, 30 seconds into the second quarter. The Elks lead 22-0 with the convert. Caleros is out of the game. How that wasn't a roughing the passer penalty on the Elks is a conversation for later today. Drew Brown comes into the game for the blue and gold, and we are in the precipice of the The unimaginable, the unthinkable, the (laughs) unthinkable. As we pick up the action, it's Kevin Brown who gets the ball for the Elks.
2: Brown trying to get there, and he Fumbled. fumbled the ball. Bombers are saying it's their ball. And Brown turns it over. The Bombers offense back on the field after Kevin Brown's fumble. Jackson Jeffcoat came up with it. And it's Blue Bombers football with 944 to go in the third quarter. Brown straight drop, flag down, free snap. Brown to the end zone for Dembski coming open. And he's got it for the touchdown. Nick Dembski corner route. Touchdown, and pending a flag, it's 22-16. Offside, Edmonton number six, that
3: penalty be declined. Result of the play is a touchdown.
2: Couple of fakes, Brown on a roll. He's got Schoen in the end zone, and Gainey mugs him, flagged down in the area of pass interference as Dalton Schoen is wreaking some havoc on this Elks defensive backfield. And it's Dakota Prukop into the end zone for the touchdown. Dakota Prukop with the touchdown. The Bombers answer right back, and it's 27-23 with just under 40 seconds to go here in the third quarter. He's gonna drop back on first and 10, and he wants to whip it downfield, the deep out route. Is that picked off by Evan Holm? It is! He stepped in front of Kyron Moore, and Evan Holm, who talked earlier in the season about, I would love to turn all these knockdowns into turnovers, has turned the tide of this game on the final play of the third quarter back to your point on the just a second ago derek about the elks covering drew brown's got to get into a rhythm here he's got to get kenny lawler more involved got to find some people downfield he's had decent numbers brown wants the end zone he's going to throw it up for Lawler. did he one hit that in the back oh my goodness kenny lawler quarter the defender is all over him, eating up his right arm. Lawler just sticks out his left hand and makes an unbelievable catch. And the Bombers have a one point lead. First and 10, Elks will bring the blitz, play action to Dembski. Jump oh, pass Olivera open, 20, 15, 10. Oliveira's is gonna drop his head for the touchdown. What a play by Drew Brown to read the blitz, dump it to Oliveira, and the Bombers are up 37 to 29. As the Winnipeg Blue Bombers come from 22 down to win a game on the road, 38-29 behind quarterback Drew Brown.
1: Brown goes 17 for 24, 307 passing yards. The league's top running back, Brady Oliveira, rushes for 110 yards on 14 carries, adds 20 yards and that touchdown you heard receiving And Kenny Lawler hauls in just uh, two receptions, but one of them, one of the best touchdown catches you will see anywhere in
0: any league, Brett. That was spectacular, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To see them come all the way back to claim their seventh victory of the season, pending the outcome of tomorrow night's Calgary BC game, they sit alone in first in the West. And clearly, though, some questions as we head towards the game in Calgary next Friday and at the top of the list.
2: How is Zach Kolaris doing? good. Upper body injury, we'll see. You know, got to evaluate him a little further,
4: obviously.
0: So, that is, of course, the voice of Blue Bomber head coach Michael Shea. It
4: didn't start well, obviously. Give up a big play, 65 yard run right off the hop. There's a lot of mistakes that happened on that play. And then
2: they drove down and punched us in the mouth and scored again.
3: Um, but we still in after that. Very
4: pleasing to be on the sideline and watching the guys just go through the process and just keep focused. There's not a lot of idle chatter, not a lot of false chatter. just just and like, which is pretty cool. Good lesson to learn.
1: Calm, cool, collected, Mike O'Shea. Not the game we expected, but it was, of course, the outcome we expected. Not in any way the way you imagine the Blue Bombers would win this week. 14 points in each of the third and fourth quarters to come all the way back from 22-0. In saying that, they did outscore the Elks 38-7 to from the time Zach left the game. Quite impressive. The subject line from listener Gale at 513 this morning, my email, Brett. She said it all in one four-letter word, P-H-E-W. Phew! This is why you play the game, Brett, and you got caught up in it all
2: again.
0: Yep. Yep. Wasn't going to watch one second of that football game. I was dead set on going to bed, getting a decent sleep. I turn on the game, and when the elk scored 33 seconds in or whatever it was, I couldn't turn it off because I, I, I had to see, can the Bombers recover from this? And Edmonton kept adding to the, the score and thought, oh, no, now Kolaris is out. What's going to happen here? And then the Bombers just started to grind, and and lo and behold, they are victorious. So great night for the Bombers. Sucks to be an Elks fan right now. I remember as the several campaigns over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years where the Bombers would get off to a rough start, know they'd go winless for four or five or six games and uh when they would lose the, the yet another one there's just this feeling like come on and i wasn't i've never been a like i'm not a diehard fan i'm just a casual fan but of course i support the team so uh they being a a hard into it fan for any team to watch the edmonton elks go through what they're going through it's gotta hurt yeah
1: that's gotta hurt But as I said yesterday, when we had DT on, I have a long memory and uh, it'll be a long time before I ever feel bad for an Edmonton (laughs) sports fan.
0: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not, Not sorry. Not really. When did toys, has there ever been a point where toys were suddenly too complicated for you? Because I'm on the elevator yesterday coming back up when I was uh, getting ready to record the couch potatoes and uh, two women get on the elevator with me, they're talking to each other. And one of them is lamenting the, the set of Lego that she bought for, they bought for a kid. And one of the, one of them says, well, what kind is it? She goes, I don't know, some star Wars thing. We we're going to get him this like really nice Harry Potter set, but it looked way too complicated. So forget it. But even the star Wars thing, it says three and up, but like, I Can't figure it out, I don't know how my kid's going to figure it out, so but I'm sure the kid will do just fine. The booklet,
1: and it's like a novel that those super large Star Wars sets and the other ones come with, it's unreal, yeah. And the specialized pieces, and if you lose one or two of them, like you're, you're sol, right? Oh, so fair, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah, I, I, I can relate to this, yeah. like you know, the, these incredibly complicated sets they're impressive
0: but it's like here you go boys have fun with that (laughs) so tell us if toys got too complicated for you or when did it happen or if you want to go sort of in reverse when you were a kid did you have a toy or perhaps a game that just stumped your parents where they were like i don't get i don't understand what it is you're doing have fun Let's go around the horn here. Cameron Poitras, start with you.
3: Well, uh, I'll say, first I'll start off with one that my parents understood a lot better than me when I was younger was my Transformers. I had no idea how to work those things or get them into whatever form I wanted them. So I ran up to my mom and said, Mom, can you transform this? And then she (laughs) transformed it and then get it back to me. And then, of course, three seconds later, the storyline that I had with my action figures then determined that... My character had to transform once again, so I had to run to my to my mom and get her to do that, or, or my dad. So that was became annoying to them, I'm sure. Uh, but like my honestly, my my PlayStation, my mom had zero idea how that worked. Um, she had no idea how any of the controls worked or anything like that. Uh, as well as she didn't even know what it was called because she referred to it as my Nintendo, uh, despite <laughs> the. Hundreds of times I said, Mom, it's not a Nintendo. It's a Sony PlayStation.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect.
0: Uh, (laughs) Sarah McCarthy, go next.
5: Mine also has to do with PlayStation, but it was a specific game on PlayStation. Guitar Hero. For some reason, uh, I I was okay at it. I was pretty good at it. Um, And my parents were just like, how are you watching the screen Hitting the key, strumming the guitar at the ex- all at the exact same time. And uh like even like the hardest song, like the devil went down to George like that's a difficult song and they were just watching mesmerized, as you said. Well, well so, done. What
1: <laughs> level did you play? Oh only
5: you easy get to- on that one. Oh. But like oh, extreme, I, I, like slow ride I, and like I, I got to
3: hard on that. <laughs> But I remember at 4 Chain, we went to the same high school. There was a time in grade 12 when everybody had just kind of given up in the final, Mm -hmm. like, month. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they just set up a guitar. Like, guitar was huge when we were in high school. It was, like, at its peak. And there were some guys that were in there playing, and I was like... Holy moly. Yeah. Well, Everyone you battled, was impressed at me at hard. <laughs> when you ba- ba- battle
1: Tom Morello, right? That, that's the yeah, hard one. Slash. you got to go, yeah. gotta go <laughs> head to head.
3: <laughs>
6: oh, I, I, I couldn't get past easy on yeah. that game. Like, it just, it, like, uh, you'd think I'd be good at it, but I wasn't. It's like Rock Band. Uh, it's like the same game, but it has more instruments. Like, you can actually have drums. And right. I would suck at it because, like, I just want to play the actual beat, not right. what's on the screen. So the it would screw me up. <laughs> yeah. That's there's
1: a there's a great video of Rush playing rock band, Tom Sawyer and rock band. <laughs> and they're because yeah, they just you know they can't just play it the way they want to play it, yeah. the way they know how. They've gotta follow the yeah. the way that the game wants you to play it, and it, it's quite humorous. Oh <laughs> man.
0: I gotta look that up. Yeah, I, I gotta look that up too. Um uh, what about you? Oh well, Cam,
1: um, I'm with you, man.
3: The Transformers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it
3: was, uh, destroy, destroy the evil <laughs> <of laughs> <the>, oh, <bizarre.
1: laughs> Transformers. So, of course, the Transformers have had several iterations. They have. They were popular in
3: the 80s. The Beast Wars was what we played, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, so I was a little bit too old for them yeah. then, and so I, I never really figured out how to use them. My little brothers and my sister had them and played with them. <laughs> then my kids <laughs> got into them when they were four or five. And it was the exact opposite. I had to go to them to figure out how to... (laughs) Alexander, can you put this together? I, I completely messed up this what is this bumblebee or the <laughs> opticon or whatever his name
3: is
1: transformers is also my vote from but from the you know a little bit of a different perspective
0: the opticon is who optimus
6: prime goes to when his eyes are out uh forte what about you <laughs> Well, actually, I'm going to be learning how to play with the brand new toys that are out there. My brother and his fiancee just had their baby uh, on oh, Monday. Baby. So oh. it's uh, big news. So I'm going to be learning all these new toys. But for me, it was I had these, what are they called? K'nex? K'nex? Yeah. K'nex. I had these roller coasters and they were giant. Like they were these big pieces. And putting those together took hours. And then at the end, like when you're fixing everything up, you're almost finished. Then you're like, wait a minute, I'm missing some pieces. <laughs> and you have to go borrow pieces from other sets. And it was just, it was really, really complicated. So those giant Connects roller coasters, they're really cool, but uh, took forever to, to build.
0: Yeah, that sounds fun. That re- and that reminds me of uh, Constructs. Constructs,
1: yes. That's what I was thinking about when Jeff said, connects
0: yeah, yeah the, greg and i would do uh, the five of us greg and i would be probably be the only two who know what constructs is because i don't think they, the three of you were born yet <laughs> when constructs <laughs> nope. was the thing so tell us a story about the toy that just suddenly what you found too complicated or maybe there was something when you were a kid and your parents like i remember renting ninja Gaiden 2 on the nintendo and both my parents are watching me play this game and they're like What the hell is happening on that? How are are you doing this? (laughs) My mom was a witch, though, on Dig Dug on the Atari 2600. I could never beat her score. (laughs) She loved that game. (laughs) Manitoba's liquor labor dispute will now be into its fifth full day of picketing today. Liquor stores, as you might remember, were deemed essential during the COVID-19 pandemic and remained open in this province but now most of them are closed and Brent, as Re- global's rosanna
1: hempel explains some experts are concerned about the challenges and risks involved with alcohol withdrawal
7: this liquor mark behind me here on ellis and hargrave is one of five winnipeg stores and seven province wide that manitoba liquor and lotteries has kept open this past week amid the strike they say closing this one in particular could have consequences on people with alcohol dependencies
4: we're very conscious about from a social responsibility perspective you know to open up the store in Thompson as well as at Hargrave
2: and Ellis.
7: Manitoba's 50 plus other MBLL locations mostly in rural parts of the province have been shuttered as of Tuesday. Richard, who Global News isn't identifying to protect the people he helps through Alcoholics Anonymous, says he's concerned how some will manage with alcohol suddenly cut out of their life.
4: In some cases, they may actually need to go to the hospital, but in all cases, they'll start recognizing, well, how am I going to deal with getting up in the morning? How am I going to deal with the relationships in my life?
7: Psychologist Michael Ellery says people experiencing alcohol dependencies may feel more anxious, jittery and irritable if they suddenly stop consuming. And withdrawal can also be life threatening.
3: Physiologically speaking you might notice that you can experience like tremors or confusion or sweating and if you experience any of those symptoms then you want to go to the hospital right away.
7: And Vancouver-based psychiatrist Dr. Shimmy Kang says it could take several days for those symptoms to show up. If you have a history of drinking every day, especially
5: heavy drinking, and you or your loved one hasn't gone for three days or more without alcohol, there could be a serious risk there.
7: Kang worries coming out of the pandemic when drinking spiked. Many people, especially women and youth, may not realize that they fall under a daily or heavy drinker category. If you are drinking
5: every day, two or more drinks, and you're not sure, then that's really time to check in. Um, with a health care provider and see if you could be at risk and take those appropriate steps.
7: Meanwhile, beer vendors and local breweries and distilleries' opening hours aren't affected by the labor dispute. In a statement provided to Global News, an MBLL spokesperson said they're confident the $9.2 million in social responsibility funding they've distributed to addictions treatment and support programs this year will help minimize negative impacts associated with Liquor Mart closures. According to MBLL's website, the Liquor Mart in Thompson won't be open next week. Meanwhile, conciliation between employer and union continues. Rosanna Hempel, Global News.
1: Yeah, judgments aside, uh, logistics aside, this strike aside, Brett, uh, this is a genuine issue for a certain percentage of our population. And you referenced the COVID-19 pandemic and and liquor stores being deemed essential services. And one of our listeners sent a... Uh, An email that says it way better than I ever could.
0: Yeah, and we'll... uh, Well, this is from Rick. Uh, Regarding the liquor store strike, it's not that people could end up needing medical intervention. People will need it. This is why the stores remained open during COVID. The effects of liquor withdrawal can be life-threatening and should not be discounted as a real threat. There will be those who say, tough, serves the bums right but this will affect people you might not think have a problem. Your neighbor, your relative, your banker, your whom you think doesn't have a problem, average person. Self-induced or not, alcohol dependency is a real medical situation and alcohol withdrawal is a serious fact of that lifestyle. I know, says Rick. I was there two years ago. There are people out there who will need help. Let's save the judgment for later on. And looking at liquormarts.ca, there are only five liquor marts open today in Winnipeg from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Crestview, Garden City Square, Grant Park, Hargrave and Ellis, and Saint Vital Square. In Brandon, the Brandon South location is open noon to five today, and the only other liquor mart open today in Manitoba is in Thompson from 10 a.m. to 2:30 p.m. And they are all closed Saturday and Sunday, so no liquor marts open this weekend.
1: Would really love to hear from people, not that want to judge, not from people who want to admonish those that are in the situation that Rick found himself in a couple of years ago. And Rick, thank you for sharing your story with us. It goes a long way in helping us create perspective and understanding the fact that we don't all experience things and, and don't go through life all the exact same way. But if you've been down the same road as Rick and you can share your experience and willing to do so, we'd love to hear from you confidentially as well if you prefer to remain that way.
0: 204-780-6868. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back next week. We're asking you about toys. When did they become too complicated for you? Whether it's toys, whether it's video games, or did you have one when you were growing up that mystified your parents? One of our listeners says, I've never, it says, Nintendo Switch bowling. So the Nintendo Switch is the system. Bowling is the game. Yes. Listener says, not sure what my problem is, but to this day, the bowling ball refuses to leave my player's hand. I'm awesome with the Wii. Bowling. Okay. However, the switch is unachievable for me.
1: All right. Maybe uh, watch
0: a tutorial on uh, YouTube. I don't. And I. I know that Nintendo Switch is. Uh, looks like a pretty nifty system. The Wii Bowling. For those who never played. You, you and you've done the Wii Sports, right? You mentioned the tennis. Uh, oh yes. Or not. Yep. Okay. So how does that? How does that work again? Yeah. I,
1: I got that for Christmas when I was like thirty-five years old. That was my big gift from yeah. Jackie. <laughs> I wanted the Wii, and she found it for me. Thereabouts, uh, yeah. Just basically, you have the magic wand. I always call it the remote control, and it always sense it senses your movement. Yeah. And with the bowling, if I remember correctly, there was a little button or a little trigger, and you held the ball, and you had to time your throw and release the button as you threw it okay. in the right d- direction. I, I should get my stepmother on the phone here right now. <laughs> She's a whiz at it. She could describe it to you.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She was really good. Okay, so I've never tried the Nintendo Switch. Uh, at all. Never mind the Nintendo Switch bowling. But uh, I will point out as well that the Nintendo Wii Boxing. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is. I remember the first time playing it and I was a sweaty mess. And I thought, I guess, it makes sense, I guess. But I, I just I wasn't prepared to come play video games and end up getting a full workout and needing to like lie down. Yeah, I went downstairs about six weeks ago to inspect uh, a cleaning job
1: uh, in the uh, boys' uh, video game area to find a very interesting um, crack in uh, the 36-inch oh, or 42-inch no. television. Either of you know what happened here? Yeah, I was playing Wii Golf, and the thing flew out of my hand. Oh, you didn't have the wrist uh, thi- gar Since you were five, I've been telling you, put the wrist thing, but you're too cool for that. Yeah, the remote just flew right out of my hand and
0: did it. now was it an accident or do you believe that it was an accident or I believe you, that it was an accident and that he didn't throw it at the television Oh no,
1: he's not like that. Okay. I have friends Oh no. <laughs> I have a couple of friends we used to play What was what was before, was it Xbox or PlayStation and the Madden game? Okay. And my roommate who I beat exactly once at this game smashed into smithereens a seventy dollar controller because I managed to beat him at this game. He was so used to beating me. And then another buddy of mine lived on about the nineteenth floor of an apartment building in downtown Winnipeg. I went to his house one, one, one night. He goes, I said, "How are you doing?" He says, "I just lost at NHL whatever year we were in." He goes, "There's my remote. It's on the it's on the roof of the building down there." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, so no no rage control problems like that in my house with my <laughs> teenagers
0: tell us about a time toys became too complicated either for you or your parents for a chance to win burt block party tickets or lord of the dance tickets will pick a winner at 9 15 It is Mackling McGarry. McNabb is back next week. Hey, by the way, a question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. How do you do your shopping for school supplies? Just pulling up the fresh results at cjob.com. And we've got 63% who still go down to the store, 28% recycle old supplies, and 9% order them online. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. And speaking of school, investing in one's education has sometimes been a hit and miss endeavor. Will there be a job for me when I am finished my area of study? Will I have to move elsewhere to work in my chosen field? Just a couple of concerns which seem to have dissipated over the past several years.
1: That's right. And a survey published by Cinnaboyne Community College investigated the status of their graduates nine months after their graduation, and then again four years after receiving their accreditation from ACC. Mark Frizon is president at Cinnabon Community College, in Brandon joins us now on The Start. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. So before we dig into these results, which uh, ultimately show nine out of 10 graduates would recommend ACC to friends and family, what sort of courses do you offer at ACC?
4: Well, we have a wide variety. We have five different schools. So we, uh, we have a school of uh, agriculture and environment, a school of business, a school of trades, a school of nursing, and a school of health and human services. So, um, you know, our largest single program is practical nursing, which we offer all over the province. Um, you know, we do all the welding apprenticeship in the in the province. We run police studies, so a real variety of courses.
0: So, how many of your grads are working nine months into their careers? Four years, for example.
4: Well, uh, nine months out, ninety four percent of jobs, and eighty eight percent of those are in their field of study. So. Uh, you know, one of the things we 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 run this survey every year, so we survey students who are nine months out of their programs as well as then four years out of their programs to get some sense of how they're doing. And um, in general, that's the consistent finding that we have is that students are doing quite well.
1: That's good to know because, you know, I think uh, that's one of the big concerns when you're recruiting and trying to, you know, let people know this is a place to come. So talk about, uh, you know, the, the type of living that your, that your graduates are making. Are, are, are they making good money once they get out of school?
4: Yeah, sure. Look, five months, uh, nine months out of graduation, our students are actually earning, um, in this last survey, $55,000, more than 55000 Now, if you compare that um, with the Canadian average for college graduates two years out, they make about 40000 so our folks, even with half that time out, are making 15000 more than the Canadian average, which, you know, in general, Manitoba is thought of as a low-wage jurisdiction. But on the college side, the graduates tend to do fairly well.
0: So what is it about Assiniboine that, that seems to be giving your graduates a bit of a leg up?
4: You know, I'm not sure it's uh, unique to us. I suspect Red River's results are are fairly similar. Um, But certainly that's, you know, um, college. uh, One of the things that we have in Manitoba is we don't have as many college seats as we might need. So when you look across the country at the proportion of university to college seats, we actually have the second lowest proportion of seats um, for colleges in the country. About 24 percent of our seats are for college is 76 on the university side. And so as a result, um, you know, there's a fairly high demand for the college graduates because certainly more than that are required in the labor market.
1: So, Mark, one of my concerns, my kids are graduating from high school this year. They'll be going on to post-secondary education next year. And one of my concerns is, you know, I want my kids to to be successful and to, to be whatever they want to be, all that good stuff. But I don't necessarily want them having to move away to do that. How many of your graduates are staying close to home or staying in Manitoba after they graduate?
4: Listen, that's probably the gem of the results here is that our graduates, by and large, stay in Manitoba. So, you know, in our recent nine-month-out survey, it was 94% of the grads stay in in Manitoba. Here's the kicker, though. Only 84% of those folks started as Manitobans, right? So um, when you look at the folks we're getting from out of country who come as international students or out of province, we're getting people who now take their training here in Manitoba, and then decide to stay and live here, right? Think about how many times you've heard about out-migration of our youth um, from Manitoba to other provinces. Well, one of the things we're seeing on the college side is the exact opposite of that, that folks are coming to Manitoba for the training and then staying here. And so from my point of view, that's great return on investment for our province. You know, I, I, I heard somebody talking about med school graduate graduates last year and You know, they were sort of bragging that two-thirds might stay, right? And it was like, oh, is that really a brag point? I mean, we really need to get up the number of folks who we're going to train in province who we hope will stay and then serve and make a living in our
0: province. Our guest is Mark Frieson, president at Assiniboine Community College in Brandon. And Mark, you, you... You mentioned something that just kind of triggered a, a bit of a tsunami of memories for me. you you talked about the there might not be enough college seats and uh, you referenced Red River and I went to Red River College uh, at the time that's what it was now it's RRC Polytech. but um, the, the the to get in, to my program, and I can only speak to my program. The the process for creative communications. There was a fairly extensive application process. I had to take a test, and I had to do. They sent gave me give me some homework. I had to submit a portfolio, so to speak, and then I had a, a pretty hearty interview that I had to go through. So, uh, is it kind of a similar situation at a where uh, depending on the program, there might be uh, way more applicants than you can accept.
4: Yeah. So similar to Red River, we'd have some programs that follow that model of competitive entry, you know, where um, you're, you're going through an extensive application process. Nursing is sort of like that. Um, but we would have other programs that are sort of first qualified, first admitted. You know, if you've got the stated qualifications and your application is in first, you get into the program and then we just wait list after that. So we'd have we'd have a mix of those things.
1: And how about Brandon? I, I spent four years of my life in Brandon. Uh, the formative years of my life, I always say, saved me from, from maybe not being uh, you know being a good kid or <laughs> saved me from not being a good kid. Just extol the virtues of living in Brandon because it's uh, a city that I think is underrated for a lot of folks, Mark.
4: Listen, uh, I've been there 13 years myself. You know, we're originally from the East Coast. And uh, we we actually came from Saskatchewan uh, when we moved to Brandon. But we've been there 13 years um, and have uh, an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a a 6-year-old. And it's been great. Like, it's a great spot to raise a family. It's got affordable housing compared to other parts of the country. Um, You know, it's got almost everything you want in a city. Uh, And then, too, if you want something a little bigger, you know, you're only a couple hours from Winnipeg. So, um, you know, we really love living there.
0: So if somebody wants to apply to attend a Assiniboine, how do they do that?
4: Uh, they just can go to our website at assiniboine.net, uh, and you know, it'll have the, the, the program selection there and what's available. You know, uh, I think uh, fall's filling up pretty fast, so if somebody's looking for something for fall, you know, they might want to get on it. We, have, we, we do run programs that start all times of the year. And then in addition to Brandon, like, we actually offer programs in 20 to 25 communities every year. Right. So we have a campus in in Dauphin, a site in Portage, a campus in Winnipeg, and then um, programs that run periodically in a variety of communities. So, you know, for folks who might be even place bound, it's worth to go on and take a look at what might be close to you.
0: The headline once again, Assiniboine graduates get jobs, remain in the province. Mark Frieson is president at Assiniboine Community College in Brandon, Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Mark. Have a great weekend.
4: Thanks for having me on.
0: It's Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back next week. Just want to follow up on something we talked about yesterday. Yesterday was Miracle Treat Day at Dairy Queen in support of Children's Miracle Network and the Children's Hospital Foundation in Manitoba. So every Blizzard, 100% of net proceeds from Blizzards went to support the Children's Miracle Network and Children's Hospital Foundation here in Manitoba. So we talked to Nick from DQ, loyal listener, Nick. Hagedia Cow, owner of DQ at Northgate, 1385 McPhillips, 152 St. Anne's Road, Polo Park, Food Court, and Neverville. And Nick, I think I botched your last name. I'm sorry. But um, he sent us a follow-up here, and he wanted to share this thank-you card that he received from a Miracle Child. And it reads, Thank you for helping kids like me who rely on the Children's Hospital. I live with a gifted heart. And I'm at the hospital a lot for blood work and other appointments. I see the direct impact the donations have, and I'm very grateful for Miracle Treat Day so I can continue to receive excellent care. Signed, Jackson. Uh, We just wanted to give that card to the staff at DQ. So, Nick, thank you for sharing that.
1: We have these discussions. We promote these events. We talk about things going on in the community. We try and uh, boil it down to compassion and empathy and putting ourselves in other people's shoes that maybe don't walk the same as us. And boy, I, I, that has really hit me right in the heart. Uh, pardon the pun there, Brett, because uh, this is just exemplifies what our community does day in and day out uh, as it pertains to, to caring for one another. And yeah, it's easy to uh, consume ice cream and just go on with your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you realize the impact of uh, where that money raised yesterday goes Jackson just hits nail on the head, and Jackson, boy, you're special, special, uh, special guy to share that. And uh, Nick, we appreciate you sharing it with us.
0: And Nick says, by the, uh, by the way, yesterday was a huge success despite the on and off again rain. So, Nick, thank you for joining us yesterday, and thank you very much for sharing that card from Jackson. Also, a reminder, we've got tickets to give away for the Burt Block Party or Lord of the Dance. We're asking you, when did toys become too complicated for you? Or maybe your parents when you were growing up. And Melanie says, I am that old. I could never master clacker balls. They were two heavy balls and a rope, and you had to get them banging just by moving the hand up and down. The masters, like my brother, could clack them well. Me, I just had bruised wrists <laughs> and was lucky no teeth were lost.
1: <laughs> but like, all those uh... Go figure this out, games. When I was a kid, right? There was that the paddle, paddle ball, right? Yeah. You had the, the, the little ball on the elastic string. That lasts about like nine seconds for me. I can never get those get oh, that really? thing going. Yo-yo, I got a little bit better at the yo-yo. And my parents loved when I would use the yo-yo, because it meant I wasn't talking. <laughs> and, Is that and all it takes? Sometimes, you know, <laughs> just to, to divert. Yeah, get me a yo-yo, <laughs> you can have you have the show to yourself, Brett. and. uh <laughs> You know, just
0: those, just those silly games. Uh, like, do you remember Jacks? Did you ever play Jacks? Uh, I played with them, but I don't think I actually ever like played a proper game. Uh,
1: and marbles and some of these other things. It's like, holy crow! You look back on them now, you, you had fun, but they were just a way for your parents to have time to themselves. <laughs> I'm sure of it. <laughs> Happy anniversary! Yesterday. Three years ago, your very first hole in one. I remember getting the notification about it three years ago. Loren and I were on the, we were so happy for you. And I think, didn't we interview you the next day on the show, even though you were Clearly on holidays at the Laker Classic. uh,
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I was (laughs) trying. And you know what's really funny about that? Okay. Well, first of all, the, uh, the, the, yes, the hole in one was achieved at a golf course called Oak Island in Western Manitoba. It's kind of near Verdon and Oak Lake. And I got a hole in one on the 136 yard eighth hole. I sculled a seven iron across like I, it looked like it was going in the water. I hit it so thin and it just skirted over the water and sort of hit the bottom of the fringe. And then it just bounced forward and rolled up and into the hole. You need a way better story than that. Well, I was talking to the other guys who have gotten holes in one and they're like, yeah, our shots were terrible too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was three years ago. And then you called me the next morning. I was on the first, I was putting on the first green and I forgot to turn my phone to silence so I could hear it buzzing and I thought, I bet you that's Greg and Loren. <laughs> and then I and then I three putted.
1: So. <laughs> Sorry, pal. <laughs>
0: You gave back those strokes real quick. <laughs> I did, I did. But yeah, it's that uh, <laughs> it was yesterday. Thank you for that, Greg. It was. Uh, I forgot it popped up in my Facebook memories yesterday, and uh, pretty I cool. Man. Shared that it was a good. It was a good day. <laughs> I just saw it like 20
1: minutes ago. I thought, ah, we gotta
0: we gotta celebrate this. And Oak Island is a magnificent golf course, by the way, if you ever get a chance to play it. But in the meantime, it's Friday, just after nine. Who is in studio with us, Greg Mackling, the voice, the face, the host, the anchor, Global News
1: Morning. See Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND Television, Channel Nine, Cable Twelve. Gabrielle, my shot. Good morning. Good morning, Gabby. How are you? I'm tired.
5: Are really you ready good. for the weekend? I'm ready for the weekend. Were you
1: up like Brett was? Like I was? Were you watching the Bomber game last yes, night? Yes, indeed. Good for you. You like you? You have become true blue.
5: I guess that's what happens when you move to Manitoba. Well,
1: and of course you're, you know, the in-game host, so you know. You have
0: some responsibility.
5: Yeah, definitely got to keep up with the team.
0: Were you out like to the end of the game?
5: No, I went home before it ended. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, ate my food. I made it through most of it, though, and then called it a night to head home and watch on my phone, sort of. But thank God for the internet.
0: Yes, indeed. So speaking of the internet, that might be one of the things that is, is too complicated for summer was too complicated. But one of the things we're talking about today is toys and when did they become too complicated? This was inspired by a couple of women in the elevator yesterday uh, here at work, and they're like, we bought, we bought our kid this Lego set, some stupid Star Wars thing. Oh, yeah. We were going to get this Harry Potter thing, but that looked way too complicated. So I, we went with the Star Wars. It says three and up. I don't know. how. I can't figure it out. I don't know how a three-year-old's supposed to. But the point, I just start, I started chuckling because I think we, <laughs> we all have those moments where we look at whatever the kids are playing with or whether it's a video game or whatnot. And you're like, I don't get it. So what you got?
5: Children's toys in general, you know, I'm about to embark on my deadbeat auntie tour that I do once a year where I go visit my niece and nephew (laughs) in in Edmonton and try to ply them with gifts. And the last time I was there, he had this toy, my nephew's six, and now he's seven. He's very smart, sort of like a mini engineer, takes after dad. And it was a connect toy. It's like these circles that you sort of... Stick together? I don't know. You're supposed to build something with these circles that click. They basically, everything clicks, the parts. And he was building a truck, and I insisted on helping him, and I definitely ruined it. I mean, (laughs) hopefully they could take it apart, but these things, like, they stick. You click them together, and they're on there. And I found the manual so confusing. It was supposed to be a monster truck, and the wheels wouldn't go, and my... Brother-in-law just looked so distraught. He's like, look what you've done. Why couldn't you just let this seven-year-old do it alone? You had to get involved. But kids, toys are hard. You're like, right about Lego sets. Like, what is going on with that? I thought the point was just to build abstract buildings, but.
0: What were these toys called?
5: It's like, connect. They're circles. I don't know how to explain it. I, I okay. have those kids, too. It's like a bunch of circles, and they sort of clack together. It's like, they'll wheel. it looks like wheels. Okay. Spokes. Okay. And they'll turn, and you create structures. Is it connects? Right? It's not. Okay. I tried to Google it this morning, but...
1: You just couldn't find it. Like okay. Maybe that's just as well. Um, <laughs> if, if you're going to buy your nephew more of these things, send them in the mail yes. and have him
5: them solo. yes
1: without your oh,
0: assistance. I think I've got them. It just connect building toys.
5: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could see being good for brain development and hand-eye coordination, but when I was a kid, it's like you'd get a, a Play-Doh wedding cake set. You know, just dreaming of your wedding at four years old casually. And then you'd build yourself a wedding cake. You'd eat a little bit in between, like, just little bites of pink Play-Doh here and there. Snacks, you know, just consuming it as you build. And it was pretty straightforward. Like, you're just basically mushing around goop and eating half of it.
1: Oh, I love the uh, barbershop one, (laughs) right? You sit the guy on the chair and you plunge the Play-Doh out of his hair, out of his head, right? The little holes in the knees, shave his head, and then do it all over again.
5: I would do that now. Would you play with any toys? As we were talking about that today. What's Spirograph?
1: Oh, look it up. Is it good? Yeah. It was like these gears that you used for drawing, like these very intricate shapes. Yeah. Shapes within shapes.
6: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: And like, so they could be round, like gears within gears round, but then they also had oblong ones or extended ones. And you got different color pens and the actual Spirograph paper, Yeah. which that was just a marketing genius because the paper's Paper.
5: Paper. Sounds therapeutic, almost like adult coloring books. You could do this as an adult. You should do that. I want to get a light bright for in-studio. We can light just play with the light bright. Bar. That'd be yes. fun. Good,
0: good ambient background. I still have a slinky.
5: Ooh, and did you use it?
0: Yeah, just say I use that as like a fidget toy. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, and I wrecked it because I, I, I sort of, you, I, I guess kind of like a yo-yo. I, I'll sit on the couch and just sort of like let it drop to the ground and then snap it back up and drop to the ground and snap back up. And then I would sometimes sort of, Fling it Ooh. like, 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 a like I wouldn't actually like throw it across the room, but I would just sort of fling the slinky out and then snap it back. And then it got, it tangled itself up and it uh, was, it was the you, same. Yeah. Once you tangle the slinky up, it's dead. So it was, was it the metal one or like yeah. these plastic? Oh, so it was a slinky slinky. Yeah, it was a metal one. And, and oh, that huh. one I'd had for forever. But when I wrecked it, I went and got. I went to Walmart and bought a new one. Like I gotta get another Slinky.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine? Basically, uh, the bed coil and go. I'm gonna turn this into a toy and make a billion dollars.
5: It's amazing. I used to have a yo-yo and I would do that too. But then if you hit yourself in the face with a (laughs) yo-yo. Trying to do
1: around the world or something. That's
5: like a little bit too too much wine. No wine and yo -yo (laughs) yoing. That's what we're sending you into the weekend with.
0: Gabrielle Marchand is the host of Global News Morning and your local yo yo champion. You can see her weekdays 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg. When does your Deadbeat Anti Tour begin?
5: It begins next week. So
0: you're off next week?
5: Adios, I am.
0: All right. Is
5: Clayman in for you? He is. I'm going to buy some love and he will be here. Buy me.
0: love and we'll
1: have clayos in your place. Ooh, A week time. of Clayham on Global Winnipeg.
0: It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week. And then it's my turn taking another week off next week. We're asking you this morning for a chance to win Burt Block Party tickets or Lord of the Dance tickets about toys. Like, when did they become too complicated? Or when did maybe your parents were mystified by something you used to play with? One of our runners-up, Dan, the Earl of Eli, with a callback. Classic.
1: Oh, yes. Back when I was 10 or 11, I got a handheld game called Electronic Quarterback. I would play that game for hours and always had a few 9-volt batteries around just in case they would die. I would imagine that I was Dieter Brock, and I'd be running around tossing the big bombs. And before I got bored of that game, I was at the point that I was just destroying the opponents, which was the game itself. Did I get so good that the game became easy, or was the game so easy I just figured out? We will never know, but I would love to play it again, even though it is nothing compared to the games that are are now out with just just a bunch of red lines. I loved that game, Dan. Great memory for me too. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and Dan, sometimes the older games are just as much fun, if not more fun, than current games. Yeah, there's simplicity, right, and figuring it out, and the noise. Blah, 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 blah. And then here's another one that ties into the playing of the handheld electronic games uh, from one of another runner-up, Greg Janet. Growing up as
1: a child, there wasn't much money for complicated toys. I was happy with my one doll, my bag of marbles, and a hula hoop. My children had plenty: Ninja Turtles, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, dinosaurs, etc. But what astounds me is how my grandkids, watching, uh, is now my grandkids. Sorry. Janet watching my five-year-old grandson repeatedly pound his stubby little finger on his iPad. When asked, what are you doing? What are you building? What is the objective? Let grandma try. So I tap away, not having a clue what I'm doing just to be told you died. Grandma. How? Of course I had to try again. Same result. That point, I said I was going to play
0: to Play-Doh table. Won't die doing that. Thanks, Jen. I'm going to the Play-Doh table and hopefully maybe having a snack as well like Gabby was. But our winner has to do with the Transformers. This is from Liz who says, I could never figure out Transformers. I know our son had every single one of them and it would blow my mind how he could transform them on the first try. And when he was in bed, my husband and I would take them out and try to transform them and look at each other with frustration because we couldn't do it. So we would get him to do it. And again on one try, he would transform them. I even tried while he was in school, determined to do it. Nope, never did it. So needless to say, I gave up and stuck to cooking. Easier to read a recipe. Liz, congratulations. You are our winner. You get to choose between the bird block party or Lord of the Dance. Right now, we want to take a moment to tell you about an important foundation, and it's one that was born out of tragedy, because one of the things we do, as you know, here at CJOB, is shine a light on as many important causes and organizations as we can. And we mentioned yesterday that one of the things we get to do is participate in events that support these organizations. I mean, the whole point of us being there is so we can talk about it, right? So I'll be in one tomorrow, heading out to my home base of Kingswood in LaSalle to play in a golf tournament in support of TJ's Gift Foundation. Karen Weeb is the mother of TJ and joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Karen, good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. And for those who who don't know, or maybe are not familiar with TJ's Gift Foundation, can you just tell us a little bit about TJ?
8: Sure. Yeah. TJ was an amazing uh, young man who was our firstborn. Um, uh, Unfortunately, uh, in his teen years, he started experimenting with drugs and became involved with drugs. And uh, at that time, he started to associate with a whole lot of people that were not people that he grew up with that were not people that were known to us and eventually got into that uh, that that world of uh, selling and using drugs and um, uh, one day um, he was very good friends with a young woman Uh, her boyfriend objected to that and he decided to have TJ killed and so uh, on a pretext of um, uh, selling him a car stereo, actually, they lured him out and uh, murdered him. So at uh, the age of 20, uh, TJ, TJ lost his life through homicide. And, and while, uh, you know, he didn't die because he sold bad drugs or he was in somebody else's territory or, you know, the things that people typically think of, um, had he not been involved in drugs in the first place, he wouldn't have known these people. And therefore, um, you know, he wouldn't have been, uh, I guess, at risk of uh, this kind of of thought and behavior that other people had. So out of a a need to um, respond to that, I guess, you know, we didn't bring up our kid to be involved with drugs. Um, We didn't ever think that that was even a possibility. And so when that happened to us, we thought, well, what can we do? to help other families that are in this same position so that they don't have to go through what we've gone through. And um, so what we did was we created the TJ's Gift Foundation, which raises money to put into schools and youth groups, youth organizations, where kids are helping other kids not do drugs. Uh, we know that, that uh, you know, most adults are telling kids don't do drugs. And... Um, uh, that's having, you know, very little to no effect for most kids. So we thought, well, one way of, of getting to kids to think about this more seriously is to help their friends, you know, help kids be empowered to be able to say that they don't want to do that and, uh, and then they can, you know, have influence over their friends um, to help them make safer choices as well. So that's the basis of TJ's Gift Foundation.
1: Karen, you've been sharing this story for just over twenty years now, and every time I hear you share it, my heart breaks for you. Why is it so important that that you share this story? I think you touched on that in you know in the last couple of minutes there, but in terms of the foundation and the impact that the its work is having, it's got to be it's got to be a gift for you. Yes. Yes, it, you know it is
8: when. It is um, amazing when we hear the success stories um, of kids that have made decisions to you know change their lifestyle uh, or not to get involved in the first place and uh, it is an amazing um, well as you said gift to us or to me now because of course Floyd's gone, but it is um, important because. As much as this is a, a gift to us, it's also a gift to other families, right because I mean there isn't the only the only thing worse than losing your child is losing more than one child i mean that's those are the the ultimates and we've lost one child you know um we know of families that have lost more than one child and uh and it's devastating uh, I don't even know how people survive that i It's hard enough to survive one child dying let alone more than one. So, you know, doing TJ's gift, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way because we're putting it out there that our kid was involved with drugs. And, you know, none of us wants to be remembered for the mistakes in our lives. Um, and and we're we're sort of doing that with TJ, but when I've talked to kids about it and talked to family members and other people and they've said, you know, um, we don't look at it like that at all. We look like it, at it like, like we're, this really is a gift that TJ is really trying to reach out to us and tell us, don't do this. And, um, you know, so we're trying to, in whatever way we can, uh, just help kids to think about what they're doing. Think about what they're doing and think about their futures and how are they going to get there and how can we help them make safe choices so they do get there.
0: Our guest is Karen Weeb with TJ's Gift Foundation. By the way, their website, tjsgift.com. The purpose of the foundation is to help youth choose to be drug-free. And with this foundation uh, for the last several years now, I'm just curious, do you feel like maybe you you now have an extended family as a result of the foundation?
8: Oh, my goodness. You know, you have hit the nail on the head. Um, The people that have come forward and come out of the woodwork to help us with this work, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. We uh, We do a battle of the bands every year, and one of the first years we did it, a gentleman came out. We didn't know who he was. He came with a truck loaded with equipment, sound equipment and lighting equipment, came to our tryouts set everything up, brought T-shirts for all of the kids uh, to wear that were crew, Um, all at no charge to us, just showed up, did all the work, and then has been a faithful friend of the uh, foundation ever since, and that's Greg Dornick from Crazy Maiden. And then Chris uh, Forsyth, uh, Chris Michael Band, he's another one, like uh, came associated with him. Again, through the music, uh, he's a recovered addict himself. He will bring his band out, and he's coming out tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning, actually, to the golf tournament. Uh, bringing his band out um, and and playing a set for us just to get the morning started. Um, he's amazing. Like, if I need him to come out and talk to kids about what his experience was, he'll do that. If I need him to help me set up for Battle of the Bands and... and um, you know provide instruments and and stuff like that. he'll do that like it's amazing to me how people want to get behind this and we and and it's not only adults like kids uh Battle of the Bands is a, a contest we do every year um, and uh, we get uh prizes and stuff like that for the top six bands. Um, and uh, it's total outreach. Like, we don't insist that anybody be drug-free or anything like that. We just welcome all the kids to come in, do their uh, playing, and at the same time we give them a message about what happened to TJ and, you know, making safe choices for their lives. And um, it's inevitable that several of the bands that are their kids, you know, 15 years uh, of age and up, uh, want to be associated with DJ's gift. They want to um, uh, provide leadership. They want to tell their story um, of how they know of people that have had their lives ruined or turned upside down or lost their lives or lost the lives of their friends or family. Um, and they want to share that message to kids to help kids be safe. So it, it, you're, you are so correct. It's It's in every walk of life with politicians, with media, you guys, I mean, with uh, the schools, uh, the teachers, the kids, the bands. It's it's amazing.
1: This message is important now as it's ever been, Karen, in our community. There's a perception that only certain types of people get involved in drugs. And, and and the myth behind that and associated with it really, really needs to disappear. We only have about 40 seconds here. So talk about the golf tournament tomorrow and, uh, you know, and uh, let people know why these events are so important.
8: Awesome. Uh, TJ's gift is not funded by government. We're entirely uh, privately funded. And that means that we have to raise the money through fundraisers. So we do our big gala every year in May. And then we're doing a golf tournament now um, every uh, fall, summer, fall. Um, and this year it's at Kingswood uh, at, uh, in LaSalle there. Um, we have amazing prizes. We have amazing involvement from community. Uh, it's going to be a really fun evening. Uh, finished off with a steak dinner. I mean, how, how much better could it get? So, oh, yes.
0: You got any any room left in the tournament if you, anybody wants to be a last-second uh, entrant?
8: Anybody that wants to be a last-second entrant, please uh, contact me, and it's just karen at tj'sgift.com, uh, K-A-R-E-N, that is. And, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do.
0: All right. Karen Weeb, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow.
8: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Karen Weeb with TJ's Gift Foundation, that website,
2: TJ's Gift. Dot com.